Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to another edition of Around the Coin. I am your host, Faisal Khan. I have with me today on the show, Jack Nikogosian. He is the founder and CEO of a Danish fintech company called Arise. Arise is doing some remarkable work in remittances, financial inclusion, anti-money laundering, credit and market risk. So without any further ado, here's Jack Nikogosian, the CEO and founder of Arise. Hi, Jack. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you. Thank you very much. And how are okay, you? So tell very good, very good. So very good. Tell us a little bit about yourself before we start talking about your company. You know what your background is, what your backstory is, and how did you end up here? Um, yes. Yeah, so the, without going all the way back to to the beginning, um, in short, in broad strokes, uh, I'm an Armenian guy living in Denmark, uh, in Copenhagen, and for the past maybe six years or so, I've been uh, quite fascinated with fintech and especially blockchain technologies. Um, once I've gra- I graduated, I started working in that ecosystem and, and now I've been doing that for, for quite a few years. And um, essentially going from trying to understand what is Bitcoin and what, what is smart money or programmable money, trying to understand that whole space into uh, what is now uh, me starting my own, having started my own company uh, around two and a half years ago, which is called Arise. Um, so I am uh, I'm extremely passionate about building new and cool solutions, whether that is you know using technology A or technology B, but 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 using and building cool cool stuff. I'm I'm fascinated by what the internet has done and what it can do. And I think that when I saw Bitcoin in, in the early days, I kind of have that, I kind of had that wow effect that this is actually really cool that you can, you can send money around, uh, you know, without, without the hassle of having a bank account or a credit card or a payment app. And that, that to me was quite interesting, but starting working with the technology, I of course realized many of its, its challenges uh, in the, when trying to link it to the real world of commerce and the real world of, of, of business, there can be a lot of challenges. And also just following the growth and the expansion of cryptocurrencies has been extremely fascinating. But to me, it's all about seeing this is essentially programmable money. People can build on top of it. And what fascinates me is people building cool stuff on top of, of money and using money. I used to run the innovation lab for a, a cryptocurrency company called Coinify. And for a few years, we, we essentially built a range of solutions uh, on top of cryptocurrencies, from micro donations to pay as you scroll for online media and all kinds of cool stuff. Uh, Arise is the company that I started uh, with the aim of using the benefits of the technology without being limited to the actual asset of what is Bitcoin or a different cryptocurrency. So I like to say we're creating digital cash, uh, which is a, a cryptographic and digital version of actual cash deposits, of actual cash money. So you have the sovereignty and the security of governments and the agility and kind of programmability that you see from the world of open source cryptocurrencies. And I don't think that a five-year-old would understand that. So you said to explain it uh, before, to, <laughs> as if you were five years old. I, I, I would explain it differently to a five-year-old. But. 
So is that is that more like a stable coin or a stable token of some sort? Yes. Yeah, so the concept of having you know stable cryptocurrencies on blockchains that that is called stable coins, and then you have the fiat backed, meaning stable coins that are backed by bank deposits. So JP Morgan coin or Tether dollar or wh- whatever coin there is on on. Uh, uh, whatever bank there is backing the stable coin and stable coins can also be looked at stable in a different way. So you could say, you know, um, property, for example, if I have a token representing my property, well, it's stable in a sense that it's representing my property and tomorrow it's still a representation of my, my apartment or my house. Um, so, but, but yes, in broad strokes, we're creating stable coins, but instead of backing them with essentially bank money, because that's the way that, that banking works today is that you have some money and you put it in the bank, thereby giving money to a bank <clears throat> that essentially uses that money to borrow it to other people who need money. So, so banks, naturally, they take a, a, a certain amount of risk with the deposits from clients. And that's a natural part of the fractional reserve banking system. So if you look at a stable coin, um, which is backed by money in a bank account, essentially what you have is, is a bank IOU, a bank promise on that blockchain. So let's say your stable coin runs on the Ethereum blockchain. Let's say the JP Morgan coin, and it runs on Ethereum blockchain. There's still a risk associated with the fact that it's an underlying bank holding the funds. What we try to do in Arise, and that's why we call it digital cash, is because we want to use the central banks as the sole custodial or primary custodial of the deposits. So instead of keeping money in a bank account, we put the money with, with, the, with the people that print it in the first place. And then instead of transferring money around, we transfer digital representations of money around in a secure ecosystem. Because transferring money around the world today is a ridiculously expensive process. It's inefficient, and there's a lot of people that suffer under the consequences, especially when you look at, at uh, in, in rural areas or you look at, at NGOs uh, and charitable actions where raising money from donors. When you see how much money is lost in the, in the transaction fees, it's astonishing. Uh, so we build a system where we don't asks uh, where we don't ask our clients or users to use a different kind of cryptocurrency like bitcoin or jackcoin or whatever they want to call it but we want to make a better uh, or rather make a more efficient way of transferring what people are already sending around in the first place and to begin with we're focusing on creating an e-dollar uh, in our digital cash concept we're focusing on an electronic version of a dollar so shortly uh, we need your, to get a bank <laughs> and, and yeah. build a bank the clients, way it should have been built. Yeah. Are your so. clients like central banks or the banks themselves? Uh, what would they be? Are you competing with the central bank uh, digital currencies? No, rather we are becoming a, a, a part of the banking infrastructure. So essentially we need, to, we need to get a bank. And when I say get a bank, that's a very like, quick way of explaining that we need to acquire banking licenses or established banks uh, so that we essentially get ownership over a bank. So we become a part of the banking infrastructure, but our bank is different in that way that we do not operate on lending activities. It's simply not a part of our, our banking model. Uh, we, keep, we, you, we can operate in the world of banking and will operate in the world of banking. Um, however, we will not take the risks uh, so by, by lending. So we're not competing with the central banks, but we will have, similar to other, other regulated banks, we would uh, can look at it as having an account under the central banks. So we can, of course, not issue money, uh, but we can redeposit funds into the into central bank reserves after our clients has deposited them into our account and then it's up to us showing that we are solvent that you know if we have 100 e dollars on a blockchain we need to have 100 dollars stored in the fed and then we we will be using third parties to authenticate and validate that that is in fact true so what's the typical use case for something like an e-dollar? I mean, okay, fine, you have the e-version of the dollar. Most of the money right now is electronic in form. About 97% of the money in circulation is electronic. I mean, the cash and coins only represents less than 3%. 
so with mm-hmm. that most of that money being electronic yes there is a very convoluted system in transferring money from one country to the other or even amongst the local ecosystem but the velocity of money is pretty high right now so what is it that you do that makes that velocity become more frictionless or more smoother or much higher Well in Denmark we're considered one of the most digital countries in the world. I, be- I believe the national currency in Denmark is 95% digital. Uh, so it is almost frictionless sending money peer to peer in Denmark. 9 out of 10 smartphones have mobile pay. It's it's is the most popular payment app uh, installed on their phones. So we can we can see how it can work and how digitalization can empower a bunch of people and businesses but then the question is why doesn't these kind of solutions exist for people around the world and when you look at the data and and see that more than 60% of all adults are still to this day unbanked and and even the ones who are semi banked they're forced to using services like PayPal or Revolut or other th- third party services which essentially are a middleman that links them to an underlying bank account so you might have an account with Revolut or PayPal but your deposits are still stored with a bank somewhere and that means that the banks will accept you as a potential client if they deem that they can earn money on you uh, meaning do you have enough money that you can keep in our bank do you have the proper identities and and essentially do you do you have the opportunities to buy new stuff from us so even though that we might have revolut or other payment apps the rulings are still extremely strict to provide financial services not even talking about credit or lending but a simple bank account with a virtual iban so you can accept deposits from your employer uh, or salaries from your employer that's something that is still today extremely difficult because of the simple fact that the end decision it all goes back to people your money needs to be spent for lending out money to other people who need money and that that alternative to the world of fractional reserve banking is not something new but the concept of full reserve banking has been looked at since the great depression and re, and later latest in uh, in um I can't believe how many years ago it was and I'm, I'm I'm sorry less than a decade ago it was looked at by by IMF as a as a working paper where they simply ran through the the scenario how would it look if banks didn't take on risk and the thing is it doesn't look so bad and now in this day and age we have the technologies to actually build these solutions which were early conceptualized many many years ago so if if money was fully backed essentially we would not have the scenario where we needed a bailout to the big banks during the financial crisis because the money would be secured by state guarantee and gov- government guarantee essentially um so money is digital as you said yes uh, but money is still just flowing digitally through various intermediaries and the more siloed organizations you have the more uh, that that, uh, that need to essentially validate a transaction let's say it's a card scheme then there's revolut then there's the underlying bank account then there's the auditors and then there's the regulators and then there's the this and that when you have four or five different intermediaries in a payment transfer it becomes slow and it becomes inefficient and pricey but by making a digital version of cash money that operates on open platforms where there is no doubt about its solvency about, and where you use technology to provide security showing that the money is actually there you remove uh, you, you rather don't remove the necessary intermediaries but you create a much much more seamless transaction between you know depositing to an app or withdrawing from an, from a machine or sending money from a to b sorry there was a bit I mean, of a long explanation no that's fine but you know i mean you know your company runs on four pillars you know once i was reading it you know it's remittances financial exclusion anti money laundering credit and market risk what was really interesting was the financial exclusion part how does arise uh, you know what's your approach to kyc and onboarding people with little or no identification 
that that is of course one of the, the very big challenges in for for anybody in our space so step one is to say how can we make a business model and a revenue stream which is not focused around lending and credit and and that we talked a lot about that so that that is absolutely step one because before that we cannot even think about uh, onboarding people who who just have fifty dollars in their bank account. Um, so, so, so we have a, we have an amazing plan to, on how to build this bank level security, but in order to actually implement your solution with, with organizations and with people on the ground, um, you need to go through the people who knows these individuals. So, so we have a, an onboarding and go to market strategy, which is a business to business to consumer model. We would like to uh, enable people on the ground in, let's say, for example, uh, India, because we ran on some, some use cases there, or, or also the Philippines, um, we, ha- we had some use cases there. So let's say we want a, a kid in the Philippines, a young, a, a young guy or a girl to, use a, to, to have a digital wallet. That's the end game. But how do we get this person? Well, we don't believe that we do it by creating an alternative to PayPal or or whatever else is out there and then marketing and advertising our solution or coin to these people. We believe that the incentive should come from the businesses and, and large businesses have big trouble sending money to people all around the world. A specific example is the the, sh- the shipping company, of course, Mask, uh, the Danish company. They uh, they have a hundred thousand Filipino sailors, and many of which are paid for in cash when they dock in Miami, for example. And these sailors will have to go to a Western Union stand, deposit the money, and send it back home to their families in the Philippines. Now, all of these intermediaries, when you look at it. Uh, the, and this is also why we 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 focus on the the, the SDG goals that the, the average transaction fees for remittances are more than seven percent, and it takes a long time to send money from A to B. So using these Western Union and these mechanisms today are really really expensive, and in the end, what we want is the Filipino sailor and his family to receive the money. Right, that's the point. But in, but we don't go to and market our solution to these people. What we do is go go through the business. So we would speak with mask in this scenario and figure out a way to much more efficiently pay a hundred thousand Filipino sailors their salary. Or we would work through lo- local organizations that know these individuals on the ground. So today, Arise is already members of multiple different financial hubs and accelerator programs around the world, from the Philippines to Copenhagen to uh, London, where essentially we want to work with the local fintech society and the, uh, to, to, to build and expand using, uh, using the local population and together with the local population. So it's, it's, we have a very inclusive business model all in all that we want to have this programmable money, but, it, but we don't want to create all the features. We want to give the tools to, to, the, to local societies and fintech labs and hubs and universities through our community efforts and through our ambassador efforts so that people will end up building their own solutions. And that's what we're seeing now. We're seeing our Arise ambassadors building solutions for their schools and their hospitals and their, uh, you know, whatever they, uh, they want to do, but which we could have never have thought of. We're seeing solutions coming out of Kenya. We're seeing solutions coming from New York. So it's, it's really cool to see what other people will build once money becomes much more agile than it is today. Why, uh, one, one question that comes to mind is why would a shipping company choose your coin over others? And there are certainly many alternatives out there, you know, from the traditional mainstream crypto like Ethereum and Bitcoin, which obviously fluctuate, fluctuate a lot. There Absolutely. are other stable coins and other, I believe, equal institutions or what you would call your competitors. So mm-hmm. why, how does an institution like Mask dis- decide that this is what we want to invest in to pay all our seafarers or, or all our sailors? Why your technology over everyone else? Yeah, that that's a great question, and it's it is, it's it's one of those scenarios where it's not necessarily the best thing being the first, because we've seen some of the first stable coins out there, and we're also seeing that now after many years of being in use, they're still not that much in use, and the ones that are most popular are often related to shady activities, 
creating a situation where these big organizations, they can't really use them. Um, what Arise has focused on is, is we've done the heavy, heavy lifting. So having a proper AML policy and having a proper onboarding policy and, and having the regulatory compliance behind you. So everything that we did, I'll give you a concrete example. We raised money through an ICO. The first thing we did, uh, what is it, a year ago, probably more, we, we raised $1.6 million through, a, through an ICO, an initial coin offering. As one of the first Scandinavian successful pre-sales, uh, it hasn't really happened from Denmark before. But instead of just instead of just kicking off, inst- instead of just kicking off this uh, this this sale, what we did is send a prospectus to the Danish FSA. We we wanted them to have a look at it, and they did have a look at it. And we went in and we talked with them, and we made sure that everything was done according to the to the rules required. And that's, that's just a small step. But what we basically did is we followed the rule, but we kept our community effort and community approach. Many of the stable coins that we see out there are A, simply bank deposits on a blockchain. It's just an IOU from a bank. Let's say the, uh, not to put out anybody, but let's say the Tether dollar. If you have a hundred Tether, you have a hundred dollars placed in a bank account somewhere in Taiwan or Bermuda or wherever that is. And we have seen some of these stablecoin providers do some interesting tricks, you could say so, and replacing a certain amount of the backing with other stuff and, and all kinds of stuff that shouldn't happen, stuff that cannot happen for the world's biggest companies and organizations. And very importantly, also many of these stablecoins, they're not banks uh, directly. So it's a, it's, it's a client, let's say an e-money app that issues money on a blockchain but all the money is still locked away in the in some bank somewhere, and you better hope that that bank doesn't go bankrupt, because if yeah, that bank no goes bankrupt, there, right? There's no yeah, audit. Well, it's, it's not, at least it's not the same level of standards as there are some other places. And if you have a million tether dollar and the bank that holds the dollar go bankrupt, when those million dollars are vanished, they're gone. But with Arise, if Arise goes bankrupt, those funds are placed in the central, in the central banks in, in the currency that they represent. They're not gone. And then there are contingency plans for which trusted organizations can actually do the claim and essentially give you your money back. So it is a huge uh, uh, difference if, let's say, the mask wants to really use smart money and say we put a billion dollars in a digital contract and when, then according to the ship's coordinates, we release the funds from escrow and we build smart contracts. And this is a scenario over, let's say, six or 12 months, right, where funds are released monthly or daily or whatever. You add complexity to it. If you wanted to do that kind of stuff in the real world of trade finance, that becomes a really expensive process. But in the world of blockchains, that becomes a few lines of code. What we're doing is combining the two universes. The fact that these corporations, they need to do business in fiat local money, but they need to make it happen in a much more efficient uh, way. And that's where the you know, blockchain and distributed technologies comes in. But the thing we have now with bank backing stable coins is not a great solution because that a big company like mask cannot just trust a billion dollars of tether without knowing that the bank in taiwan who they are what they do with it our system they would trust because the auditing and showing that are back we're backed one-to-one this will be done by globally trusted third parties is something that we spend a lot of energy on on building with, with trusted names and brands so you don't have to trust us when we say we have the money in the in the Fed. The, you can see it on the on the on the, the systems that we build, and through the trusted intermediaries that we include. So it's a, so it's a much much like- much more secure. Sorry, just one more thing. It's just a much more secure version of other stablecoins because it is intended to be built upon. So Facebook made the Libra coin, which is basically a basket of currencies. Well, if we had three stable coins in dollars, euros, and krona, they could even use our stable coin as the basket for Libra. Or Disney could make the Disney dollar based on our token because there is no risk of that going away. You can't do that with any of the other stable coins because the risk is always there that the money can go away if the bank defaults. So you've been... 
you know, you founded the company in 2017. You did a successful ICO in 2019. Where do you stand now, now that we are in, let's, you know, the first quarter of 2020 has happened. As far as a product delivery is concerned, where are you right now? What sort of traction have you gained? Very importantly, we got some some important partnerships in place, uh, and we have been working with some some really important developers. So it's it's no secret that over the past six months or so, we have been working together with with uh, IBM and, and talents that they have to really understand how the world of banking and cloud native banking actually works. IBM are one of the key players also today. Their mainframe and software is involved in many, many of the worst digital transactions. And of course, they too, uh, or they, they are the ones that have the, the stability and the resources to, to run a regulated product. So we have, uh, we have been work, working closely with, with developers uh, to build the initial versions, which has given us a partnership agreement with an organization that covers many, many of the big NGOs. So uh, we are focusing on how can we onboard and do KYC to, uh, for many of these organizations through companies that knows these organizations. And that's back to our business to business to, to client onboarding. Uh, we, we essentially have the working agreements we need, the technology partnerships that we need and the team that we need uh, to, to, execute on this over the early summer and build the pilot projects for a range of NGOs who are who we now are starting to taking commitments from and building interesting pilot cases parallel to to building the the initial pilot launch um, we are just kicking off an, an early series a funding round which we have spent a lot of resources on structuring because as I mentioned before, initially we did an ICO, but we quickly realized that we are moving at a, at a much more regulated and, and different ecosystem. So what we have built is a hybrid solution and a hybrid investment solution where our uh, professional investors will be offered tokens, security tokens, as well as uh, equity in our company arise. So structuring those finances has also, of course, taken a, taken a lot of time. But within the next two, two weeks, we're ready to start off the, or rather continue the conversations that we, we've been having over the last six months or so with prominent investors. So we need to raise around, I, I believe it's $15 million in different tiers, in a tiered process. And the no, that is spent partially on hiring the talent required to to run this digital neo bank, and also acquiring the right e money and banking licenses that are required to launch uh, our digital dollar. That's that's basically it. we plan to be in the market throughout this year in our early pilots, and then my goal is <clears throat> 2021. Hopefully, we can open up for onboarding retail clients and and other people through our really cool app. Would there be a, a territorial uh, first that you'll be doing? Would it would Denmark be the first country that you launch in, or is it some other country that you look? You talked about India, and you talked about IBM. Is there any particular vertical you want to approach mm. first, and a particular country you want to go to first? So we have we have intentionally kept Arise as a Dan headquartered as a Danish company, and that is for multiple reasons. One thing is that. Uh, as I mentioned before, money is very digital here, and so is our identification, and now our driver's licenses are becoming digital, and we have a lot of experience uh, being from Denmark. And also, generally, Denmark is looked at as a trusted country when looking at our, our finances. And I know that we, have, we had a bit of <clears throat> a scandal recently with, with some of the biggest banks in Denmark, uh, which you probably know about, but generally speaking, Denmark is considered a country that can collaborate with multiple countries all over the world. So we will be a Danish company, but with the aim of working both in Asia and in Russia and in the US and in Europe and all over the world. And, and that is something that Denmark can do. And also in Denmark, there are simply some values that are normally not associated with the world of banking that we want to bring into the world of banking. You know, everything, whatever, you know, everything from being respectful, being transparent, being trustworthy and, you know, making sure that shady stuff doesn't happen. And gender equality, freedom of religion, freedom of expression, freedom of all these things. These are not values that we need to 
buy into uh, as uh, maybe we would have if we were a company from a different part of, of the world. So company-wise, we're in Denmark, but we're fo- focusing on the currency of the U.S. dollar. So I ask, you know, uh, the U.S. dollar is tied to the U.S. banks. How do you plan to tackle that when you talk about the e-dollar? So it's, the, the U.S. dollar is American, but it is used all over the world. It is, it is, it is of course, a, a global currency. If you have a $100 bill, and you, you can go anywhere on this planet, and you know, they will, somebody will take your $100 for, for something. So it Correct. is acknowledged and used many places in the world. And also it is linked and back and is also the backing for some currencies around the world. So it is, it is an important and global currency. And uh, because we've, we focus to go, uh, our go-to-market strategy is around big companies with a lot of employees and a lot of people that they can init- end up onboarding. So we need to have support for the currencies that is used for global trade finance. And we need to have support for, for, for most popular currencies, so to speak. And simply put, if we want to have the U.S. dollar, we need to get a bank in the U.S. If we want to have a stable coin, uh, digital cash from, uh, from Europe, we need to do the same thing within the European banking system. So Arise is today a Danish company, uh, but we are establishing different uh, sub branches, so to speak, in different places all around the world, to to handle and administer the different bank branches and the different licenses. So we we need to be set up a, a branch, of course, in the U.S. where we want to have our our bank acquisition happen. Um, but uh, I like to say that we follow the standards and rules that we see from Scandinavia. It's here, GDPR and the right to be forgotten and privacy concerns and all these things, they are, these are, these are uh, kind of a common denominator in everything. It is not something you can get around. And we want to implement those standards into a global offering, so to speak. So that's great, great. Let me ask you a question. You know, you talked about this uh, currency that would basically be the e-dollar. And then obviously, I, I, I'm assuming that you would be doing the e-euro and the other currencies, etc. How Correct. How does interoperability of payments come into play over here? Because obviously, you're looking at very fragmented payment systems in the world. Do you start stitching them together with your product offering or service offering? Uh, maybe you want to shed some light on that? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and to be honest, I think that many of the existing intermediaries that we see today are going to go away. It's not about stitching everything together. Uh, it's about building a bridge from the world of regulated money into the world of open source money and programmable money. And whatever lies in between could go away. Um, I think that many of the existence that we see like Revolut or all these other apps, I think that they will stick and the, some of them will stick. Like in Denmark, we use mobile pay and in Armenia, where I'm from, they use eDram. So the ones that will survive will end up making their backbone much more efficient than it is today, being dependent on the world of card schemes. So if said differently, if they, if we, we want to provide the, 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 liquidity pool that they can freely use to make their own systems much more efficient. So, so that's, that's kind of our plan uh, of faci- being the facilitator, maybe in some cases behind the scenes where digital cash is used for settlements and in certain scenarios. But the way it is today, we have the card schemes and then the PSPs and then the liquidity providers and then the banks and then the FX engine and then uh, the, the FX uh, providers and you have different feeders that connect to different APIs and give you the prices. And the way that money transfer functions today is going to be much more efficient over the next 10 years. And I think that we're going to see the disappearance of many of the traditional intermediaries that sometimes we don't even know that they exist. Like if you just have a look at how many payment service providers that are out there that lets you accept card payments on your website, you will be astonished. There's, there is so much fragmented uh, technology out there because everybody is operating their own silo. When our currency works outside of these silos, let's say on Ethereum, then it is, there's so much more that can be done 
and so much more efficient systems can come to exist. And I think that those systems would naturally outphase the existing systems. So in the future, if a university wants to make a tuition app or a cantina wants to make a, an, an app to, so they can sell stuff in their canteen, well, maybe our solution costs them a tenth of the cost of what a traditional solution would cost. And if you have enough users of your solution, then there is an attractive, uh, attractive appeal for businesses to, to sign up. But that's why we plan on onboarding hundreds of thousands of people through corporations that either employ them or wants to give them a reward or give them a kickback or somehow incentivize the user to pay with our app, which we call Mama, to pay with Mama, which stands for multi-asset modular app. That's kind of our client ecosystem. So in the end, you will see stores having pay with Mama like they have pay with Google or pay with Apple. Um, but the difference is that because ours would be so much cheap, so much cheaper alternative, the businesses will be incentivized to tell you to pay with mama. Like if you donate $20 uh, or more, we'll plant a tree in your name or we'll donate some water. So that's why we're working with the NGOs to try to explore how can we incentivize people to pay smarter and what can you give back uh, to these people about their investment, about their donation. One of the biggest things, Jack, that you know, you'll hear a lot of people say is that you know, understanding crypto on a consumer level has been the biggest hurdle. You know, most, most, and this is like I said, the most individuals, consumers just don't understand it. The customer base just doesn't understand crypto. How do you plan to bridge that? I mean, you, you, you obviously have a, a, a currency that's on the blockchain. You are going to link it to the very fiat terminologies that they know. But how do you plan to make sure that the actual end user, the average Joe Schmo on the street, is able to use your product very, very seamlessly without understanding the intricacies or the kind of intricacies mm. that exist in the crypto world today? I plan, we plan on, on achieving that by um, removing the complexities away from it. So my mom, she's never going to use a crypto wallet. She doesn't know how to manage exactly. a private that's, keys. That's a classical case, right? Yeah, right. Uh, and I don't think that we're ever going to, or not ever, I can't say that, but I don't think that we right now are go, going to go into a system where everybody is expected to trust the keys and the cryptography behind the system, right? Uh, I think that when my mom uses this system in the end, it's going to be like when she uses magnetism to swipe her credit card or near field communication. If she does the, the, the tap and pay, she doesn't understand how radio magnetism work or how plastic production is molded. And she doesn't understand any of these things, but it's made into a familiar interface that she understands how to use. So I see what we're building and what other blockchains are doing. I see th this as being kind of a mechanism that operates behind the scenes together with a range of other technologies and solutions. I don't think that we're going to go into the point where it's mainstream to have a crypto wallet that you use daily. Uh, I tried living 30 days on Bitcoin. That was quite of a big of a challenge. And not just trying talking about the, the prices going up and down, but also if you go uh, and want to pay in Bitcoin with a barber and he, barber and he is down in the basement, there is no, there is no uh, you're not online. You, you, like we, we couldn't settle the transaction and stuff like that. So the way to make these technologies go mainstream is by having what the mainstream wants and what the mainstream wants is different from one another. So my mom, she maybe wants to have manage her, you know, uh, H and M credit while my dad wants to manage his gasoline expenditure. I, I don't know, but that's why we believe in the modularity of things so that the FinTech hubs and the FinTech companies that exist all around the world, they will be given the tools to build their own solutions. Um, uh, sorry, I just uh, it was a long answer, so I kind of lost uh, a train of thought. No, no, no worries. A train of thought. Okay, let me ask you another question. Uh, what are the top three hurdles that? You, in fact, let me ask you a very simple question. 
how difficult has it been working with the regulators to trying to get your message and your uh, mission across? Have they been friendly? Have they been mixed? Have they been, you know, wary of it? What, mm. what, what's the situation like? Our approach has always been to, to really be close with the regulators and, and doing everything upfront and transparent. And I think that that has been uh, really appreciated um, by the people we have spoken to. And, we have spent a lot has of time. It been on, challenging. Yes and no. Uh, yes, because a lot of people thought they knew what we were doing <clears throat> and didn't really look at the details of things. So initially, trying to explain to the general audiences on our website and stuff what we were doing, it was not very concise. But what we did is build a white paper that explained everything, and we sent it to them. And there was no, there was a lot of love. There was uh, when we explained that essentially about building a bank, we're not taking risk. We're doing it these in these ways. We're not creating a new coin, and this is how it works. And our funding was based on on a compliant fundraising mechanism. So we created a security token, basically, and explained whatever the hell that means. Sorry, uh, what we received in return was a lot of uh, a lot of love uh, and a lot of understanding for what we were doing. But that's not the same thing that we have heard from other projects that we are close with and other people we speak with. Because fundamentally, what we're doing is still related to money. It's still related to banking. It's just a smarter way of doing it. But what we're seeing with Bitcoin and Ethereum is that it's so far away from the understanding of the financial regulators that it's just not something that they can get across. But but it it has been difficult to to the to the level that once we cleared exactly what it is we're doing and how our AML policies and how our, how our concerns about KYC are structured, um, there was nothing to it. So, but but the, the biggest challenge is not the answer you receive from reg- regulators, it's the answer that you don't receive. So there is still a, a lot of regulatory fragmentation where one regulator looks at something as an, let's say an ICO. Another looks at it as being a security token. Somebody says that you're an e-money institution. Another says that you have to be regulated as a bank. So globally, the, the, it, it's still tough for fintechs and blockchain projects to get the regulatory clearance and guidelines because they're, they're different. They're different from each other. So it's, it's, how long, it's, how long it's before battle. you get licensed? How long before you get your own license? If you get your own banking license, that can be quite of a lengthy process. Uh, so we have a strategy which involves a partial acquisition of existing banks. So rather than working against the existing banks and trying to build something from zero, uh, we are in the process of... Uh, we're in the conversations, basically speaking with existing banks. You know, there's hundreds and hundreds of banks, uh, small and big, but we're looking at medium-sized banks who wants to pivot their strategy from being a physical brick-and-mortar bank into becoming a neo-bank. So essentially, we provide the software and the business plan, and we and we benefit from the established licensing and infrastructure that these banks already have. That goes in some currencies and some jurisdictions. That's what we're looking at, for example, in the US. But in some countries, uh, for example, in the Philippines, the situation is different because we're close with the Filipino FinTech Lab and we understand how the bank banks operate in the Philippines. Um, then maybe we can more quickly get our own banking licenses. So, but speaking of the dollar and our first road to market, we're in the middle of buying a bank, a part of an existing bank, enough of an existing bank to make this happen. And what are your greatest challenges right now? I mean, I understand, you know, fundraising is always a challenge in this day and age in the market and regulation is a challenge. But in your opinion, in your day-to-day operation, what are your biggest challenges? Is it talent? Is it, you know, markets, access to markets, access to regulatory frameworks? Mm. What is it? Well, over the last three, four weeks, maybe, uh, we, of course, had to get used to the whole COVID-19 situation. and um, that that meant that we have to move everything to work from home and arise is a company that you know we really value our team and it is important for us to speak and do whiteboard sessions and brainstorming and all that so changing to becoming a work from home company that took a few days <laughs> but but luckily it's something that we we did 
and and many companies that are are different than us have a, have had a hard time moving it to the to the home office so to speak uh, but that's what some of the recent challenges of course our f- fundraising and, and kicking off a, a series a with the proper prospectus and all that that is a, is a quite of a heavy beast to battle and and we're almost in the final steps of that uh, parallel to that our security token, our RISE token, which kind of represents something in the company, will have to be listed on an exchange. And having only a few security exchanges, but many, many, many regular utility token or ICO exchanges, that that made it difficult because ours is a regulated financial instrument and can only be uh, issued on exchanges which follows the proper regulation, which has the proper regulation. So uh, finding out where to list our tokens, that has been a, an important process. And we're also finalizing that. Luckily, it has been a, a big process. So it, right now, it's all about kicking off the Series A. And we don't know how the market looks, uh, if we can raise the money. We, of course, believe we can. But we've heard a lot of of a lot of people lost money during these Corona times. And uh, what we're doing is focusing on the top 10 VCs and investment firms that we have spoken with already over the last few years, who we know invest in these, uh, in the, in this space, not only FinTech and banking, but companies that actively work towards the SDG goals and, and wants to do better essentially. So we need to raise the, the $15 million, I believe it was, and that's that's going to be interesting. Some of the other challenges, sure, recruiting has been has been tough. But but to be honest, you know when work, when you're working in this space for for years and years to an end, you you also yourself, and I'm talking about me, you became kind of an expert in in, in this field. And gradually, I was invited to various meetups and sessions and conferences and all this and that. So the last five six years of my life, I've I have done a lot of networking. So finding people to fill in positions, I won't say has been the biggest challenge and the most important positions needed have, have been hired now. Uh, so so in, the, in the core team, Morton, which is, who is a co-founder in Arise, he comes from a background having worked in, in banking, comes from JP Morgan, and he is, a, he is experienced in all of the, the, the areas where I am not, where my expertise comes from the world of technology and blockchain and, and <clears throat> building cool stuff essentially <laughs> so together we started and and then gradually we we recruited the right people in a pace that was that was needed so it's there's been a, a bunch of smaller challenges but to say that we're struggling with one this big thing no no we're, we're fighting with everything <laughs> uh, that's typical of every uh, fintech you know that's trying to get into the regulated world and make a difference uh just last question before we wrap up. What is it most about your project that really makes you come to work? You know, as, as a human being, as a CEO, as someone who leads a team, what is it that you're most excited about in your work and your field? There is no better way, uh, there is no better feeling than when you explain, say, Bitcoin or crypto or our concept to somebody <clears throat> and they starting they start asking, uh, or, or presenting scenarios to you, so 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 I spoke with a with a company that works with a utility company for in, for that manages electricity and, and builds smart contracts around electricity trade. Uh, sorry, not smart contracts around, but they they work with electricity trade. Right. So I spoke with this person about smart contracts and and what can be what can be done. And when you hear somebody saying, "Oh, could I do this and this and this and that?" And the and you you feel that they get it, and you're like, yes, yes, you can. That's exactly the point. And when you ask somebody, and they say, oh, so I could make my own this and this and that, and you're like, yes, that's exactly the point. Yes, you could. So when it's it, it's kind of like WordPress made it easy for everybody to make a website. Blockchain will make it easy for everybody to work with value and work with really, really uh, uh, private and sensitive information, but done in an extremely easy way. So when I'm out presenting uh, for, let's say, our communities in, in some country or, or whether it's online or, or, or face-to-face, and when we sometimes have these back-and-forth sessions where you speak with people, also we do a lot of stuff with universities. And when you hear people's ideas, it's really, really cool. 
it's really cool to hear what people want to want to do and it's often stuff that you have that i haven't thought about myself or our team haven't thought about ourselves and the traditional banks and visa and, and card schemes and all these co- traditional companies being a silo based and closed structured company you only see the innovation that they provide but by having a platform based product you see the innovation that your community provides and seeing that our community builds new stuff on top of a platform that we are creating that's something that kind of makes me want to get up in the morning to to to, to make sure that it all turns out you know as it should very good sir very good i mean jack I, I must applaud you and congratulate you for doing what you've done a lot of companies came and went under it is not easy surviving this market the fact that you have not only weathered the storm and but did a successful ICO in 2019 nonetheless you know probably goes in as a reflection of you know that you have a solid plan and then there is a vision and a dream that will you know turn that into a reality uh, I really wish you all the luck, my friend, and this is great. Thank and you. hopefully we will get you in the show sometime in the future and talk about more of your progress and, uh, you know, what you've been doing. Um, very quick question. How can people find you and how can they get in touch with you? Um, I th- first and foremost, thank you very much for the for the kind words. And it has been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. And Whenever you know you want to have a chat again about something, just <laughs> just give me a call. I'm I'm always up for it. Um, our website arise.io, and that's spelled of course with a r y z e, and we have a our, all of our contact information there. And luckily, my name is quite unique. So if you Google my name, you find my Instagram, my LinkedIn, my everything. You know, so I'm I'm quite of an easy guy to to access, and I want people to reach out. So. Just Jack Nikogosian. That's uh, I think you can't you can't find somebody with that name who's not me. <laughs> <laughs> we'll definitely put it in the show notes. Thank you for coming, Jack. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Speak again soon. Bye. The views and opinions expressed on any program are those of the hosts, co-hosts, and guests appearing on the show, and do not necessarily reflect the view of the owners and producers of the show. Paid advertisements in form of audio announcements may appear throughout the show, including this one. Advertising can also include print and other digital formats. The owners and producers of Around the Coin do not endorse or evaluate the advertised product, service, or company, nor any of the claims made by the advertisement. All programs are subject to a one-time charge for professional editing fees, for which the interviewing guest or guests may have contributed towards. The owners, producers, hosts, co-hosts, and guests on the show are not financial advisors. Any investment advice or opinion cited during the show is for information purposes only. None of the content is intended to be investment advice. Seek a duly licensed professional for investment advice. If you believe there's been any violation of your copyright, trademark, service mark, or any other type of intellectual property, please inform us in writing by sending an email to legal at aroundthecoin.com. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.